This is your host, Daniel Segura, with the Mustachio Podcastio. And this is part two, um, pretty much, of the Wild Bunch. I'm pretty sure this is part two. <laughs> and uh, we are continuing on with the homie Faustus. How's it going, man? Hey, not bad. Yeah, not bad at all. Um, I yeah, mean, you're so... making this job really easy for me. I'm kind of just leaning back and enjoying the... The you walking me through this. This might be the closest to an audiobook for a movie that I've had on the show. So, well, I don't know. I feel like I've been watching this movie for a long time, and uh, now, now I finally get to talk about it. So, uh, but we we did. It's amazing. We did two hours at our last session uh, because we thought surely two hours is enough for the movie. We got maybe halfway through. Yep. Uh, <laughs> so here we are again for session two on a beautiful Sunday morning. Uh, and we are about to pick up just after the bridge get blown up scene, yeah. uh, where, you know, there's tremendous practical effect that I guess they ended the shooting with and, you know, dumps the gang, the posse of, uh, railroad detectives slash bounty hunters slash scum of the earth led by Deke Thornton, Robert Ryan, uh, and they're after the bunch led by, William Holden slash Pike Bishop. And the bunch has gotten clean away because of the bridge blowing up and they're hanging around up in the just inside northern Mexico. Uh and they're congratulating one another. Yeah, you know, a lot of the internal tension that has characterized life in the gang uh has gone away. So the old guy uh Sykes Sykes gets out his bottle of whiskey, he takes a big healthy swig. Actually, it starts. It starts actually with um, Tector Gorch takes a big healthy swig, smiles, hands the whiskey bottle over to Pike. Pike takes a big healthy swig. It gets passed around from member to member to the gang, ending up in the hands of Angel, uh, who takes his own healthy swig. A really Poor, big swig. <laughs> yes, that, that that young man has capacity. Uh, <laughs> he yeah, and then he like he just sort of turns, just sort of inverts the bottle in his hand pours out the last couple of ounces and then drops the empty bottle into Lyle Gorch's hand. <laughs> Lyle's got nothing to drink. Uh, <laughs> and he's everyone... probably the heavier drinker, so every, like he's like, damn. Well, he's played by Warren Oates, so uh, yeah. one figures. Yeah, this, exactly. This could be a kind of symbol. The gang all laughs. It's like it's probably like their last low-tension moment in the movie. Pretty much, yeah. This is kind of their most like celebratory uh, portion of, of their time together. And Sykes does have that one little kind of almost premonition or something where he he mentions that um thornton's not going to stop he ain't going to stay there by the river he's going to keep going and there's like that little bit of silence for a little bit of like oh yeah you're right yeah (laughs) he's like a machine like thornton is not someone to trifle with uh yeah the guys that he's leading are, are are just scum and incompetent but he knows what he's doing and we do get a brief sense of them by the river you know, with Thornton, who's really mad at this oh, point yeah. be- because he can't go back to the United States at this anymore. 
somebody in his posse like fired in the at the U.S. Army, uh, you know, killing at least one of them. So it's pretty clear that whatever's going on on the other side of that river that they just fell into is not good for them. Uh, a lot of people are going to be showing up and making things very difficult, probably for their employers at this point. Uh, so oh, if you yeah. like the, yeah, that scummy railroad executive that hired them, Harrigan, yeah, at this point may actually have to answer some relatively difficult questions. But they are on the other side of the river. They're on, down if only five of them are, are, are left. Uh, they're running out of ammunition. Uh, I guess, you know, one of them has lost his boots. Uh, oh yeah. It's, uh, yeah, they're, they're in <laughs> the kind of, in, they're kind of in sorry shape themselves. They lost one of their horses. So they're not, they're not like a very formidable force, but that doesn't matter because the bunch has a lot of other problems of its own. And then we go to this surreal battle scene. Uh, where we have General Mapache and his you know company or two of federales who are standing at a railroad junction, being fired upon by yeah. the viistas who are up in the hills above them, uh, which suggests that Mapache is not a terribly capable general. Uh, even you know Sergeant Ferry knew enough to seize the high ground against an opponent. So he's standing down there. <laughs> he's just kind of looking around with his two German military advisors. Uh, things are not going terribly well for his forces because they don't have a lot of ammunition. They don't have a lot of working rifles. They don't have any heavy weapons. The Vistas at least have some sort of uh, artillery piece up on up on a hillside above. So they're being shelled as well as being fired at. And meanwhile, on the back of a train, uh, the, you know, which is presumably the, the Federalized train, there is a group of musicians and a, and a singer. <laughs> who's yeah. singing who's singing Santa Amalia that famous you know, sort of revolutionary era ballad uh and you know at to the accompaniment of these mariachis uh this is this is that that is the surreal element although i can kind of believe it in revolutionary kind of gave me that uh titanic feel when uh the, the those guys are still playing in the <laughs> it's just sinking to the ground because i'm like this is a pretty rough spot guys you might want to yeah. at least find some cover yeah sure well you have to be a tough musician to work from apache that's true. talking about tough characters by the way i wanted to point out that the woman the actress who's playing the singer here uh is named Dulanda ponce uh, and we have seen her once before in this movie, and we will see her again uh, as uh, possibly the same character in the later role. But in the, do you know when we first saw her? Oh, is that earlier? In the... <laughs> earlier in the movie, you know, many, many yeah. years ago. Um, yeah. You remember all the way back in San Rafael, the town in Texas where the bunch attempts to carry out its first robbery of the railroad payroll? You'll, there's a brief scene of a, of a woman being trampled by a horse in the street as chaos breaks out That's in the right. firefight between the bunch and the, and the posse. That woman, is that the, the stunt woman who played that character uh, is the same. Yolanda Ponce is, pl is playing the character of Yolis, singing from the back of the train. And <laughs> apparently when she was filming the scene as a stunt woman, she was trampled for real. Uh, the horse backed up unexpectedly and stepped on her. Uh, they had to take her to a hospital uh, somewhere, you know, like, you know, several, you know, a long way away. Oh, yeah. The doctors who took her there, who took care of her there, thought that, you know, they found that she had like a broken tailbone. She had a lot of really deep lacerations. They diagnosed her as being likely to need plastic surgery as a result. But 
she's 20 days later you know in shooting she showed up to play the part of yolis singing this song on the back of this train uh wow that's a warrior right there oh yeah she was yeah she was one badass one badass babe and she yeah. will be back in the movie another time, and I'll point her out when she gets it. When we get there, <laughs> to her there. Um, <laughs> the, the, the peck and Paul feel bad. He's like, I'm just going to keep giving her some little bit parts and or something. Some I mean, determined to, determined to show how tough she was. I think Peck and Paul really admired this sort of thing, though. Yeah. Um, so she's singing, and then there's we have a scene. There's a little boy, yeah. uh, wearing a little boy Federale uniform. Uh, kind of looks. T- Hilarious. <laughs> he looks like he's in a costume, but it does. We learn and to he, see that the Federales are not uh, hesitant to put young children in uniform in mortal danger. Yes. Uh, as this, this kid is sitting in a telegraph office, he takes a tele a telegrapher is taking down a message. He writes it down. He rips it off. He hands it to the little boy who runs outside. Uh, he's about to be intercepted by Zamora, who's Mapache's uh, second in command. That's right. But he, he but Zamora then backs away. To let the little kid, who obviously really admires Apache, Mapache, hand him the telegram. Mapache reads it, and he real he gets the message that the Gringos have stolen the arms shipment from the United States Army, and they're on their way. This is very good news for him, uh, and you know he's congratulated by his German military advisors, who are the only other people in this scene other than the musicians uh, who are not panicking as they're being shelled. Yeah, because he's like <laughs> literally standing there as as the. Pancho's uh, men are like kind of heading right toward them, and then the little kid kind of shows how brave he is by also standing there yep. and just staring at them. And then he, eventually they're like, "Okay, we should go down." Okay, so all right, you know, sound the retreat. So they all retreat. They get on the train. The train pulls out just as you know the East Cavalry are, are in hot pursuit of them. It's 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 a very strange kind of battle because they just go back to their headquarters at Agua Verde. It, it's as if like they commuted to the battle or something like that. And now that it's done and they're going back. Um, but it's kind of like that, yeah. So they go back to Agua Verde. Meanwhile, okay, back to the bunch. Uh, if oh, I remember yeah. the scene the correctly, bunch. now they are they are camped out in this this cave. Uh, they're keeping an eye out for the bounty hunters who are behind them, but also for the federales who are in front of them, because they know that there's going to be a problem when they when they recontact Mapache. To effect, in the effect that he's going to just try to murder them and take the guns, yeah, because he outnumbers them by like you know two hundred to five or whatever. So they're you know, thinking about this, and as they're doing this, they are snuck up on by a group of Indians who just move completely silently and manage to get the drop on them with machetes. Yeah, I like this part. It turns out that these are people that uh, Angel knows. Uh, he describes them as being sort of of the village, even that they don't, even if they don't live in the village, where he comes from. And these are the people that the guns are for. Uh, they're, you know, and they, they're just these superb soldiers. And I guess at some point, site or after they make the transfer and hand off the guns, uh, Pike Bishop says something to the effect of. Yeah, if those people get arms and good leadership, they're going to send this country up in smoke. Because oh, du- I think Dutch says that. Or Dutch says that. Yeah, yeah Dutch says that. Yeah, because they're so they're just like so effective. Yeah, yeah, because even um even the natives do say like, well, hey, we're sorry about being so paranoid about getting this ammo, but this is literally how we've managed to survive this long. Like right. being this, 
being this careful and con- you know, cautious. We, we've been fighting Apaches for a, a thousand years. Uh, exactly. We've gotten we've gotten kind of good at our field craft. Yeah, because uh, the so... guys were tripping out about it, and then Tector's all pissed off because he pretty much got caught, and Lyle's giving him shit for a little bit and Tector's like dude you're the one that was being lazy not helping me out you said it's weird because they're brothers but they definitely have their little spats here and there. <laughs> so it's kind of good to see that dynamic I really like that yeah no, that's that's a slight bit of comic relief in the scene so what happens is as they're going moving along have I missed a scene you know the the bounty hunters are pursuing kind of ineptly like they get lost in you know some yeah. valley someplace uh, and what what Deke points out to the other bounty hunters is first of all he says if you guys fuck up again you're do- I- I'm leaving you you're gone you're dead yeah uh, he kind of finally thing- loses his temper yep. for a bit yeah he also says at this point one of them is probably out there with a rifle on you right now uh, these people are much better than you are you've got to like you've got to like got you got to level up or you're done uh, yep. and that's probably largely true because the bunch uh, you know basically take their wagon they've got dynamite. Uh, they, they dynamite, they, they basically load it up with explosives and fuses mm-hmm. and head off. They also pick the machine gun that they found among the arm shipment. They set it up on a tripod on the back of their wagon <laughs> and they let Tector like sit, sit behind the gun as they're moving the wagon through the desert. It, it makes them look like they're technicals or, um, Mujahideen or something like that. It does kind of look like that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if that, if that were a pickup truck instead of a wagon, it would it would feel like the Afghan War. But it's insane, uh, man. But I mean, a they had to do what they had to do in order to make this work. Because once they run into General Mapachi's men, we I honestly one of my favorite scenes in the movie is when they run into them uh, out of. So in this scene. Is it Mapachi's men run into them because they were looking for them, or was this a rendezvous situation? Because I don't. Well, think... this this no. is a there was actually a line of dialogue in the battle situation. I think it's in there where Mapache tells Herrera, who is yeah. his lieutenant, uh, to take a bunch of take a couple of units or like a, like a couple of platoons essentially out of his armed forces and go intercept them, kill them, okay. and take the guns. Okay, um, that's right. That's right. So I mean. So it's quite clear that you know they ran into him on purpose to try to yeah, intercept yeah. those those the ammo and all the arsenal and everything, and uh, yeah, we get a little bit of uh, chess, a little bit of chess between Pike and Hedrera, and get, it is so fun. And by the way, Hedrera speaks Alfonso Arau's um, character speaks in the way anyone that wants to do a Mexican accent. <laughs> this guy right. sounds just like it. The guy, the guy, literally comes out and plays a plays a Mexican stereotype. Yeah. Uh, it's 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 kind of it's really funny to me, but at the same time, I'm like, holy crap! But uh, it's a good time. It's a good scene. I mean, yeah, it's a good. I think I think when they do when we see that, we see a little of that actually uh, in Angel when he confronts Tector and Lyle Gorcher early in the movie. That's right. It's like, you know, please don't kill me. I think it's actually done in this in this movie. It codes as you know someone taunting the gringos. Yeah. Uh, it's like you know you think I'm just this dumb Mexican, but look. I'm the one who has the drop on you, um, and you are in the inferior position, and you'd better you know you better cooperate. And that's clearly how Herrera thinks about this situation. He he basically they managed to surround the bunch inside this little you know, valley with mesas a little or cliffs above them. Mm-hmm. They have the high ground. They're surrounded there, 
and there's a confrontation. He says, why don't, why don't you allow me to escort you uh, back to General Mapache? Well, you know, obviously they're having none of that. Uh, and Pike Bishop, like, pulls up a fuse, yep. takes his cigar out, lights the fuse, says, do you know what this is? Uh, meanwhile, Tector mounts his machine gun for additional threat. Well, and Herrera is, of course, impressed. He knows that he can't outfight this. But and another guy gets a little trigger and happy. He gets a little nervous up there in that cliff. Yeah, he, he takes a shot. Uh, uh, he misses them. Uh, Herrera orders him killed. So we get a nice shoot and fall and dummy work. Uh, <laughs> as, yeah. this, as this yeah, poor Mexican, uh, you know, Federale gets it uh, for having lost his nerve in yeah. this situation. So, so they Herrera, kind of make that deal, right? Like basically yep. he's going to be like, all right, fine. Because I like I do like the part where they first show the fuse and everything, and Hedrada's like, "I'm not afraid, Gringo. <laughs> We're partners in this." But like he really plays it off. It's such a good yep. like, "Oh yeah, yeah, no, we weren't trying to take the ammo. We're just trying to work something out here." But yeah, they eventually agree that they'll meet the general in Agua Verde to mm-hmm. conduct the deal. And Pike says two men will meet him there, and if there's any trouble, no guns for you, motherfucker. <laughs> so, uh, so you know, it was a uh, kind of an amazing scene. <laughs> I had a really good time with it. Um, then after that, we move on and we see Thornton looking on as he's finally located them again. Because um, all this commotion, obviously, he would have had to be blind to not find out what was going on. Yep. And um, and then after that, uh, Pike rolls into town and he lets the general know that he has the arsenal hidden and that he's come for his portion of the money, which from there he'll give him that same portion of weapons, like basically mm-hmm. a part of the weapons. Um, but he has it hidden, so he's got to tell him where it's going to be. And the general is like, you fixed it pretty damn good. You fooled me. <laughs> and, of course, Pike has them open it up to make sure it's not washers again. <laughs> sure. It's like, my accountants will pay you, apparently. <laughs> Herrera is the is the unit accountant, among other things. Or, or maybe he was demoted to accountant because of what happened in the last iteration. The thing that I, in the background, Moore and Ernst, who are the German military advisors to Mapache, immediately pipe up and says, we understand you have a machine gun. Uh, and this is the subject of another discussion between Pike and Mapache. Pike says, the deal was for 16 cases of rifles and 16 cases of ammunition. No machine gun. And then he turns it around and says, the machine gun is our gift to the general. Uh, and of course, Mapache is very impressed by this this act of genero- apparent generosity from the bunch, uh, and you know relations immediately warm up. Uh, yeah. So you know, and once once Pike gets his gold, he tells them where the the first bunch of guns are. He uh, you know then rides off. Mapache gives orders to go to a group of his men to go and find the guns where they were said to be. One, you know, I think it's Samora says, what if he betrays us? Apache says, I trust him. And he actually turns out that he do. they do come back with the guns. Uh, I guess you're, there are four cases. Pike rides back to his bunch. Uh, he shows them the gold. And, you know, he explains that he was able to make the exchange. The Gorch brothers, I think it is, say they want to go next. Uh, so they go next. There's a series of exchanges. Yeah. Meanwhile, what's I'm trying to you know, at, 
the uh, the bounty hunters are kind of circling around ineffectively because the bunch are too well holed up for them to do anything at this time. Yeah. Yeah, they're just kind of like laying low. Yep. Kind of waiting. But things, the, the only point where I guess things go bad, I'm trying to think, the incident with the machine gun takes place at some point, you know, before the last exchange, right? I'm just, yeah. if I can remember correctly, basically they deliver this machine gun uh, to Mapache together with its box of ammunition. And so Mapache, they, they spend a, uh, some time trying to figure out how to load it. The German uh, guys and, yelling at him, telling him it they, needs to be on a tripod. They they manage to load it. Then you know they pick it up and they fire it not on a tripod. The German guys are appalled. It needs to be on a tripod. Why they're yelling? It. Yeah, yeah. In English is hard <laughs> to say, but um, you know, you idiot. And so like they fire the machine gun, and of course, you know, it's being like lifted by two or three soldiers. Of course, you know, it's a machine gun. It drives a tremendous amount of recoil. And so, like, machine gun bullets fly all over Mapache's compound. Uh, and you get a kind of comic scene where everyone is diving out of the way. Uh, you know, the musicians are taking cover. Uh, things are being destroyed right and left by machine gun fire. Nobody gets hit uh, in this particular scene. Uh, yeah, I was very shocked by that. I was like, yeah. this is a freaking machine gun going in circles, going, like, yep. random. It could be bouncing off stuff. But, no, um, I they almost played it. Like, it was supposed to be kind of a funny scene, because everyone just co- sort of cracks up after all this, and I'm like, all yep. right, <laughs> damn. You see the, you get a scene where the musicians are sort of creeping back into the scene. Um, you know, Mapache then tries to pick up the machine gun and fire it himself, which he does, sort of. The guy must be immensely strong if he can do it. Uh, yeah. I, I looked up the weight of this particular model of machine gun, and it's like 110 pounds unloaded, so... <laughs> it, it really does. It really does need to be on a. Really does need to be on a tripod. Eventually, they do put it on a tripod after having explored the space of wrong. The South overflows with history and character, from haunted farmhouses to ghostly hotel guests and cemetery wanderers. There are more than a few urban legends born in the Deep South. I'm Ashley McLaughlin. And I'm going to tell you a scary story each week centered around a spooky happening from south of the Mason-Dixon on Southern Haunts Podcast, where I cover everything from cryptids to true crime. Find Southern Haunts Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, so after all the machine gun madness... I'm trying to remember what happens. Where do we go from there? Because after that, we're going through a sequence of events where I think we get the last exchange, right? Okay. And this now things start to go south because what happens is the pair of the bunch selected for the final exchange uh, are Dutch and Angel. And Angel, as you'll recall, has an unfortunate history with Mapache. Uh, and is about to become more unfortunate still because they show up. They're the last iteration in the sequence of trades. And it turns out that there is, there is like one case of guns missing. And we know that we, the audience know that that's the case because there was a deal that one case of guns would be given to angels, Indian comrades, uh, fellow villagers, for their resistance against Mapache in exchange for Angel's share of the gold. 
And so the way that when Mapache points out that there's a missing case, Ernest, uh, based, yeah, Dutch basically responds, well, we lost one case on the trail. And Mapache yeah. says, that's not true. You know, he stole it, pointing at Angel. The mother of the girl he killed told us. And then Angel's like, well, anyway, guys, um, I got to go. <laughs> he, he tries to escape uh, the right. best he can, but they have like this whole little rope system to trip up the horse and it just flips angel over to the ground they grab him snatch him up yep and it's a tough scene um dutch is uh basically is like getting ready to head out at this point and the general asks like what he you know what would you like me to do with angel and dutch says he's a thief you take care of him yeah and it is a rough scene because angel's looking at him like dude for real like damn, it's all like, it's a rough scene for any number of reasons one of which is that a couple of several scenes back during the train robbery, something that I forgot as I tried to narrate that rather complex series of events, uh, is that Dutch had fallen between two of the cars of the running train, uh, and he had his life saved by Angel. So when Angel could save Dutch's life, he did. When Dutch might have done something to help Angel, though it's not clear exactly what uh, he could have done, he just says, well, too bad, uh, you know, yeah, there's nothing I can do. I'm I'm heading back. Yep. He uh, kind of got that mercenary look in his eye. Dutch was like, hey, you're the one that decided you want to help out your people and not just do it as just a mercenary to make some money. So you got to pay the consequences, basically. Um, but it was a pretty messed up situation. Uh, once Dutch gets back and lets everyone know, the, the gang is pretty bummed out about the whole situation. Um, and they're like, it's impossible to save them. <laughs> Right. He's around all the soldiers. I mean, a lot of the moral problems begin to come back to haunt them at this point because uh, somebody, first of all, somebody manages in the posse manages to shoot Sykes, uh, who managed he managed to limp off and, and escape, but he's now kind of lost to the bunch. And at the yeah. same time, there's an argument between uh, between Pike and Dutch as they're watching all the you know, the activities of these bounty hunters about Deke. Um, and, you know, the moral status of his actions. It's like Sykes says, you know, look, you know, he, he gave his word. He has to do what he's doing. Dutch's response was, he gave his word to a railroad. Uh, yep. Sykes says, it's his word. Dutch, you know, it's not just your word. It's who you give it to. Uh, it's intense. Like, these guys yeah. yelling, like, full-blown at each other. Yep. It's like, uh, I, I, I call it, like, where you can be that disrespectful to a friend because, like, they'll forgive you, but right now it's like you just want to, you know, kind of unleash on him for a second because he's frustrated with them and they're frustrated about the situation. So yep. it's interesting seeing that dynamic that they have um, when they just dog each other out there for a little bit. And Lyle wants to stay up there and and just go down and kick Thornton's guy's asses, but... Pike's like, no, nah, I'm tired of being hunted, and this is when he decides like they should probably take cover in um, in the town in Agua Verde. Yep. And they decide that they're going to hide most of their gold and just take a little bit of their own the gold that they have to kind of survive out there, because uh, they know that you know Mapachi's people they might welcome them, but they also might just take their gold back. <laughs> it's not yep. that difficult, so it's a complicated situation. But their 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 calculus is something like you know we're up here we're, we're running out of water, uh, Sykes is going to have to take care of himself, 
As for Angel, he played out his string to the end, I think is the word that uh, <clears throat> yep. that Dutch uses to sort of, you know, sort of sell in a self-exculpatory way, but, you know, we understand what he means. So the four of them, basically Dutch and, and Pike and the two Gorch brothers, head off the mountain on the theory that they... There's no way these bounty hunt these raggedy ass bounty hunters are going to try to pursue them into the middle of 200 federales, especially because, it, by Pike's estimate, uh, Mapache is going to be in a very good spirits having gotten all these guns. Uh, this turns out to be essentially correct. When they get when they get to back to Agua Verde, it's a big party. Uh, all of the officers in the Federale unit are wearing dress uniform, as are the two German military advisors. There's a huge party, and something really horrible is going on, which is that they have taken Angel, they have tied him to the back of Mapache's automobile, and they are dragging him around this dusty compound at the back of the automobile. It's rough. Um, it's uh, true. And I think what also that um, Peck and Paul does a uh, interesting job that is showing that the kids are don't have any mercy toward him either. Like there's, they show a kid basically surfing on his body mm -hmm. while he's being dragged, you know, uh, drugged through town. So it, it is. Um, they're they're kind of they're tormenting him with fireworks that they have. Yeah. It, it actually it's essentially it echoes the scene that starts the movie where we see a bunch of innocent looking children uh, tormenting a pair of scorpions by putting them on a mound full of red ants. Yep. Uh, and now we see this cruelty playing out in a much more dramatic fashion uh, inside Mapache's compound. Uh, so they start, and it's also interesting that this is this is an example of something we see a lot. Where critics of Peck and Paul see a lot that, is that technology is dehumanizing. Uh, that the presence of the automobile represents not just the decline of the old west world that people in the bunch these aging men knew but it's also it becomes the instrument of tormenting uh you know poor angel and all the other instruments that they talk of are often like in the same vein you know the railroad involves the arrival of civilization but also of people like harrigan you know arrogant capitalist bastards who you know are you know willing to like kill innocent people or see innocent people get killed in pursuit of their agendas and you know, the machine gun is is out there. That's a, a sort of an instrument of dehumanization. Uh, and you know, even when they mentioned the airplane, there's a little throwaway line uh, from Pike. He says, "They say they're going to use them in the war." Mm -hmm. All right. So, yeah, yeah we we see this is a, a dramatic illustration of. Of, of how I think Peck and Pa thought about technology, which is arguably a little bit morally hypocritical when the artistic medium you work in is the most technologically intensive of its time. But uh, <laughs> there it goes, uh, and and it certainly don't help poor Angel, who's being who's being subjected to this horrific treatment, something that Peck and Pa, by some accounts, had actually seen happen when he was a Marine in, in China, uh, so you know, twenty five years before he was doing this shoot. Um, yeah, and then Pike offers to basically pay the general for for Angel's life. Like, I'll I'll pay you, you know, and if if you can just let him go. And uh, the general's like, well, 
I don't know about that. And Hedrera's like, or so one, it's either Hedrera or the other guy that's always there with them. He's like, I don't think he's worth much now. He, he's not going to live that much longer. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know why. He's like, just get over it. Just go have a drink and get over it instead of tr- possibly risking, uh, you know, changing the, the mood of the general. Because right now he's in a good mood, and the last thing you want is for him to start shooting you out of the town, basically. Yep. <laughs> so... He says, they're now approached by you know, some kind of pimp. Uh, he says, hey, why don't you just come and have a good time? There are women. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And so, they're, you know, with nothing else to do, you know, Pike just shrugs and says, why not? Yeah. So they do. Uh, there's the scene where I think, you know, I think Dutch feels too compromised at this point to enjoy such a thing. So he just sits outside a building and whittles. Uh, Pike takes you know pike takes a, a woman a, a truly beautiful actress yeah, yeah she was uh so look, she know he noticed her or she noticed him earlier when they were there mm-hmm. before so yep. yeah she had his she had her eye on good old pike yeah yep. this, this doe-eyed young woman uh and you know the gorches have their own uh with whom they promptly kind get into of, an arc an argument about pay it's kind uh, of weird how the do- the 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 gorge brothers like to Bang in the same room together. Kind of yeah. weird, but uh, whatever. Hey. In tandem, as they, as they actually in, said yeah. this, you know, scene earlier. Um, but, you know, I... It, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you, know, pr- pr- you know, primitive conditions. Privacy wasn't very well known uh, in, before, before, you know, modernity. So... Uh, yeah, that's true. Uh, so, at any rate, you know, there's this... and But Pike is clearly... He's clearly not enjoying himself. He's like he's sort of deep in what feels like very bitter reflection. Uh, we see him inside this building, and he hears the cries of an infant in the corner. Yes. And you get a, you kind of get a sense, you know, just by watching. This is a really tremendous performance by Holden. Just by watching his face, that he's thinking over. He may be thinking over his whole life at this point. And his, the regrets that he has, like, who is he and what does he have? You know, he's well into middle age. The world he knows is closing down. You know, he might have had a normal human life with, like, a family, but that's not really possible now. There's, he realizes that even with his gold, there probably isn't anything left for him. Uh, this is my read on the character. Mm-hmm. So he, you know, he looks at this, he looks at this beautiful young woman. He li- he puts some gold coins on the table where she's, you know, she's sort of cleaning up. He picks, he goes over to the Gorch's room where they're having this fight, uh, with this other, this other, you know, sex worker. And he just says two words. He says, let's go. And no more communication is needed at this point. And they they walk out. He's talking about, they walk out of the rooms. They see Dutch sitting there in the dust whittling their stick. They just look down at him. Dutch immediately understands what's in play. They get up and they walk to their horses and they they arm up. They take their pistols, they take their rifles, they take their shotguns. Uh, and they begin to parade through Agua, the streets of Agua Verde. You know, and they're sort of... This is a slow-mo shot, mostly. It's done by a camera that's rolling back so we have a great sense of depth as they're moving through this, moving through this town or you know, fortified hacienda or whatever we want to call it. 
people are watching them, but nobody interferes with these guys. Uh, that kind of surprised me because there's yeah. a bunch of federales around standing there watching them walk through and i guess they're like well the general speaks to them and stuff so let's just let them walk around with right. <laughs> with guns yeah let's let's just get on with like you know all the things that we're doing in our normal life you know shaving or there are actually a couple of musicians playing yeah, playing, playing the same song that we actually saw we actually heard um uh you singing before santa amalia um and they walk up and they approach the general who's sitting on his sort of porch in this hacienda where they've always met with him before. Uh, I have to say in this scene, <laughs> Mapache, I, I can't imagine how anyone can look so drunk. You know, like oh, he's yeah. just, he, he's like his eyes can just barely focus. Yeah. He looks but like it, an, uh, like an uncle at the end of a wedding, you know, yeah. just completely just shit faced. Yep. Uh, but his German military advisors are there. They're in their field gray German army uniforms, you know, participating in the celebration and we get this incredibly weary line from Apache Los Gringos otra vez uh, what do you want <laughs> he's like almost just kind of just oh y'all again what do you need a bitch about now didn't I give you gold already like I don't get yep. what's going on here and he says yeah Holden just looks at him and says we want Angel. And yep. so Mapacha says, you want him? Okay. And so he picks up Angel, who's obviously in very poor shape at this point. He walks up. He's holding, holding Angel forth. He's about to cut his bonds. And he takes out a knife. And in, in the, an amazingly brutal scene, cuts his throat right in front of the whole bunch. Yeah. It's just brutal. Uh, it is incredibly brutal, and Holden responds by pulling out his his automatic pistol and shooting Mapache dead. Everyone's like, "What? The oh, f- oh, fuck! You know <laughs> what did what did we just see? <laughs> That's not supposed to happen." Um, and there's this dead silence, and one kind of gets the sense that at this point maybe the gang could just ride out. Because everyone is a little too confused about what has happened. Everyone just looks around instead. Then we hear from we hear this almost obscene giggle. Um I think Dutch giggle. From, from 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 Dutch, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh where it's you know, hell no, we're going over the brink. Uh and so th- at this point Pike then shoots more interesting choice. Um He's the senior junior military advisor, at which point all hell begins to break loose. Um, the federalists begin to converge on the porch. The officers attempt to defend themselves. They're promptly gunned down by the gang. The gang takes the porch, and then it's like just an extended shootout between like these four guys and what looks like about 200 Mexican soldiers. Uh Ernst manages to get control of the machine gun for a while. He fires it, but not very successfully, and is killed. Uh, then it's sort of Tector gets control of the machine gun. He's firing from the... Because they've mounted the machine gun as a kind of trophy, right? Mm-hmm. In the middle of the porch, on its tripod for once, uh, facing out. <laughs> poor, cho- poor strategic choice, because it basically means that it can now be fired at anyone who's attacking from outside, which they do. Uh, there is... You know, we have Dutch has some grenades. Uh, 
which he stole from the American army earlier, which he uses to good effect. Oh yeah. Meanwhile, meanwhile, like from they're basically shooting each out, shooting that with each other from be- from behind and from in front. Uh, from behind, they're they're being attacked by people who are you know, inside the compound. Uh, various soldaderas among them. Uh, one of them like shoots Pike in the shoulder, uh, and then you know, of course, this leads to a shootout with him. Uh, he shoots her with a shotgun. Oh, is which this I when he is... says "bitch"? Yep. Uh, <laughs> this is like a, and this is probably like one of the scenes that people that really drove people wild uh, in 1969, because even villains didn't usually gun down women in westerns. Uh, yeah. So, but he did so like immediately and unapologetically. And I would like to note at this point that that is also Yolanda Ponce being shot. Um, this is her third appearance in the movie after having been stepped on by a horse uh, and done a, a performance in a battle. I like the idea uh, that in the universe of the film, she's a triplet. And yep. she did. <laughs> it's just, oh, yeah, my sister, I heard she got trampled the other day. <laughs> she lives in Texas. Yeah, it's a it's a crazy scene. Uh, just shoots yeah, her dead. He shoots her dead. The fight, you know, they shoot and and shoot, and basically, you know, it goes on as more and more soldiers are killed. It's all it's a, it's a, a scene that defies easy narrative description. I've got to say, yeah, it's tough. There's uh, a lot going on. The Gorch Bros are they did they fought their own, you know, fought pretty damn good, but they're they're getting hit quite a bit at this point. I think yep. Tector's already been hit and is pretty much the, down. They have like both their multiple wounds. Uh, you know, the last controller of the machine gun is Pike, who uses it very effectively. But his intervention is brought to an end when a kid, possibly the same kid as we saw on the battlefield earlier, you know, picks up a rifle. He, he points it through the bars of the Hacienda and just Omar Little's uh, Pike in the back. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, that bringing, you know, he takes slumps down, pointing the machine gun up in the air. All right, so the bat. This is the Battle of the Bloody Porch. Hundreds dead, probably, or at least dozens. And who should show up except these raggedy ass bounty hunters? After all, the shooting has stopped. Yeah, it's like they just uh, found gold. Yep, and they are so excited because there are huge bounties placed on, especially on Pike and Dutch, and I think also the Gorch brothers. Uh, so they they're running around. They're so happy. It's like, you ain't so big now, Mr. Pike, are you? You As if they had anything to do with with what had happened before. (laughs) Uh, You know, but they're like, it's it's like Coffer and TC are at their most ghoulish and most grisly. They're pulling out knives, looking for gold teeth to lever out. Um, And they are true bounty hunters, those guys. Like, that's the way I would imagine they would be like. Yeah. so they pick up the bounties. They, they're basically going to sling them over and, and send them back to the U.S. Uh, there are potential legal problems there, notwithstanding. Uh, and in fall, you know, walks Deke, who's, you know, obviously he's now, he's really the saddest man in the West at this point. Uh, he's looking around at all the chaos and all the carnage and, you know, the slumped over dead bodies of his former friends. Uh, and he does one thing. Uh, which I think is symbolic, which is that he goes up to he goes up to um, he goes up to P- uh, Pike's body and he takes a gun, not the forty five caliber automatic that Pike had been carrying before, but the old fashioned old west six shooter that he was still carrying on his belt. 
mm-hmm. uh, as the sort of the one memorial of his friend. Yeah, you get the feeling this is just this is something to remember my old friend Pike by. Yeah. Right. May not have but ended all, well, but hey. But also significantly, it's the older weapon. Yeah. You know, it's it's the thing from the time when... Holding on to the were, relic. <laughs> yeah, they weren't so bad, and, and we weren't so being dehumanized by all the technology and the, all the modernity that's crushing us here in Yeah, it's, in, like in if, um, it's like if you got shot, Faustus, and I took your 8-track player. <laughs> yeah. Ah, so to remember my old pal Faustus. But... He, he always did like analog sound. But um, <laughs> now I have to I have to back up. We have to backtrack a little bit here because we left off one other scene. Yeah. Uh, which is a brief, but is, is significant for understanding what is going to happen next here, which is that out in the mountains, remember, remember old Sykes? Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, he was like been right. shot in the leg. Skip that scene, yeah. Uh, you know, he's like, he's shot in the leg. Uh, and he's like, he's holed up someplace. Uh, he, his prospects don't look all that great. And he, then all of a sudden out of nowhere comes another one of these Indians with his machete. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a confrontation. Like the guy just appears, appears like a ghost out of nowhere. Uh, he has his machete to Sykes, his throat. Sykes looks up, cut scene. All right. Yeah. We have so we don't no know, idea what happened. <laughs> we don't, we don't actually know what happened at that point, but we're about to find out because what happens is. Uh, you know, the bounty hunters are all just, they're the happiest guys ever. Uh, they take the bodies of Dutch and the Gorch brothers and Pike. They sling them over extra horses they had. And then they take off back towards back towards the United States uh, with these bounties, you know, singing Polly Wally Doodle of all things. Uh, you know, showing their fundamental, un- their fundamental moral unseriousness. Yep. And, and, you know, Deke just sits down in the dust by the gate of this former hacienda. You know, he's got nowhere to go. He's got nothing to do. You know, he says, you coming, Dorton? And he says, no. He's just going to sit there. Uh, so they go, they head off. And time goes by. And we get these very pathetic scenes of, like, the remnants of Mapache's force, mostly civilians at this point, but also some very badly wounded soldiers. You know, leaving the leaving the hacienda, carrying what possessions they can on their backs. You know, they they're it's now essentially so sad and depressed. It's, they're essentially war refugees. Yeah, now they got to um, go find a yeah. They need to go find a new place to settle because that yep. is that's not going to work out where they're living right now. They need to go. Yep. Uh, so they leave. Uh, you see, like a couple of vistas who've shown up on the scene finally, carrying out. They've taken the machine gun apart and they're carrying it out, uh, and. What happens is Deke just watches all these people go by. He doesn't move. Um, and then way off in the distance, we hear a, you know, from the direction where these bounty hunters are going back, we hear a sequence of rifle shots. Uh, and Deke hears these, and he just kind of grins. Yeah, I think we can uh, kind of guess what may have happened. Yep. <laughs> and if we can't guess what kind of happened, what happens in the next scene makes it clearer. Because who rides up? Uh, well, it's Sykes uh, and Don Jose and a couple of V's to trooper, cavalry troopers. Uh, and Sykes looks down and says, didn't expect to see you here. <laughs> <laughs> and they're, uh, they're old friends, so yeah. it's a weird yeah, they, familiarity. They yeah, it's like, well, you know, I promised that I would send them back. That's all I promised. <laughs> 
you know, and I'm done now. So, so you have to decide, what are you going to do? I, said, I don't know, drift around, try to stay out of jail? Uh, so I says, well, you know, uh, there's work to be done here because it looks like we now are given to understand that basically Sykes has joined up with Via, uh, yeah. maybe kind of indirectly. I think a little bit of his, um, a little bit of loyalty to them now because they technically, you know, saved him. He yep. was probably going to die out there bleeding out. Yep. So he knows he's going to join up with the boys, get some shit yep. done in Mexico. Up. Don Jose, he says, you, you want to come? And he has a good line about, the, you know, it's not like it used to be, but it'll do. Mm-hmm. It'll do. Thorne gives him a smile and agrees. Like, yeah, why not? Well, one more ride along. Why yep. not? So he gets up, he uh, he you know, he saddles up on his horse, and they head out. But we're not quite done yet, because Peck and Pa is going to stick in one more seat. And we're going to re- we go back to the scene of the gang leaving Angel's Village. Uh, they're riding out in the, the sunshine under the trees, the dappled sun. Uh, we hear the, the villagers who are singing uh, Las Colindrinas to them. Uh, this song that you know, has such a you know, significance of, of both exile and also, but also the you know return to, to God. And you realize this is the moment shown where they're not just writing out of a village, but they're in some sense writing out of history and into legend. Exactly. That, That's you know, the impression the, I got for sure. Yeah, that they've they've left a story here uh that will live on after they you know, after they're gone. Uh which is a kind of thin immortality, uh, but it is what they got. And that and then they close out the 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 movie with some simple uh, casting credits, and that's the Wild Bunch. Right? That is the Wild Bunch, and uh, as you know, everybody, I, I do like to do a quick impression of the movies that I cover. And I was going to ask you, Faustus. I know last time you had a little bit of a quick impression. Do you happen to have one today that you would like to do? And then I'm more than happy to do one myself, of course. But wanted to at least give you the opportunity if you wanted. Quick impressions. If they move, kill them. Oh, nice. I like that one. Uh, here's, here's mine. <laughs> what if they slip out the back way? <laughs> wait, wait. I said that like a Mexican. Hold on. Give me one second. <clears throat> what if they slip out the back way? It's covered, you two-bit redneck peck of wood. All right. <laughs> <laughs> and as you know, I, I like to rate my movies by my favorite mustaches. You got the full Fu Manchu recommendation. The walrus mustache recommendation for pretty damn good. The horseshoe mustache recommendation for eh, not bad. And, of course, the Hitler mustache for burn this movie in hell. Faustus, what would you this give one, this movie? I'm pretty sure this, I know. This, this one's a full Fu Manchu, no question. Heck yeah. I agree. Completely agree. 100% full Fu Man salute recommendation. It is amazing. Going through it with you like was even better. Just to kind of like break it down that way. I think... All of y'all, you basically have gotten a full, a full, uh, I don't know, a talking through of this movie. If you haven't seen it, you have to see it. It is so good. It flows really quickly. Um, it doesn't feel like a long movie. Even in the like the two hours and 15 minutes or whatever it is, director's cut, uh, it goes by quick. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Um, it's dark. It's gritty. 
It makes you feel gross inside sometimes. Sometimes it makes you laugh. It's got everything um, that you would want. Uh, other than maybe not having too many females that have a lot of substance to them. Uh, but other than that, <laughs> it uh, doesn't really have that. But it does have you know a lot of the other things you would expect um, in a Western, plus a lot of other things that weren't really in Westerns at the time. Apparently, as, we, as we've been talking about it, I'm realizing how different this must have been for a lot of audiences and maybe how shocked a lot of people were while they were watching this in the theater at the time. But yeah, man, um, uh, do you have any uh, plugs for the show? Is there anything that if anyone wants to hear more of your stuff, Faustus, um, anything that you got going on you'd like them to know about? I kind of I kind of do. Do you mind if I take a, a minute or two oh, yeah, here? No, and take your time. Find, find the thing that I had written down so that I can at least attempt to compress it into... Yeah, no rush, no rush. I, I, I just did. I just did a recording with uh, Eddie the Axe, and I was like, "Gosh, I talked a lot," but uh, <laughs> <laughs> in the course of say sixty minutes or so. But well, I guess I have. Sorry, I was going to tell you we don't bring you on our shows to not talk. So, <laughs> <laughs> go ahead. Any words? Nah. <laughs> All right, two things basically come come to mind. First, uh, the. I, during COVID, I uh, sat down and wrote two screenplays because I was bored. And, um, you know, like all screenplays, I write they're unproducible. But uh, this one, which is called Minnow, is now being adapted as a graphic novel uh, by my longtime artist partner, Eros Arts. The pages are being serialized at a rate of about one per day over my site, eroticmadscience.com. And we're guessing that when this is done, it will run to about 250 pages. Uh, I want it set in the same world as my favorite H.P. Lovecraft story, The Shadow Over Innsmouth, in a, a century after the events of the story. Uh, we're recording this episode on the, or we recorded the first part of this episode, I should say, on the first day that the first page was published. And by the time it finally drops, we may be several pages in. Uh, so I suggest that you all stop by Erotic Mad Science and have a look. Uh, the new pages will be running at the top of the page at of the blog, and I will put in a category that will run the thing from the top of the story downward as well. The other thing that I've got to plug, well, I now have a podcast of my own. It's called the Hey, it's called the Squicker Squee <laughs> Podcast. Every week, I interview a creator, a writer, an artist, or anyone else working in an artistic medium who's busy making what I call dark erotic art. By that, I mean erotic art centered on peril and radical transformation. Think of the old pulp magazine sensibility of the kind of stories that used to be published in magazines like Terror Tales and Horror Stories, processed through Hentai Foundry, and you'll have a good idea of what I'm looking for and at here. It's my thing. To quote S.J. Perlman, I guess I'm just an old mad scientist at bottom. Give me an underground laboratory, half a dozen atom smashers, and a beautiful girl in a diaphanous veil waiting to be turned into a chimpanzee, and I care not who makes the country's laws. Certain fetishes have been prominently represented in the opening episodes, like ASFR, Monster Sex, and Vor, but let's face it, anything that involves a scantily clad trembling maiden menaced by hideous dark forces, and I'm there. So tune in if you're interested. You can find the Squick or Squee podcast on your app of choice, or visit the podcast at squeecast.com. That's S-Q-U-E-E dot com. And you can follow us on Twitter at OrSquee. And if you are a creator who happens to work in this field, please get in touch. I'm always looking for new interviewees. Thanks a lot. Awesome. And I will have all that information um, 
the uh, the links and where to find the show and all that good stuff and the website on the show notes. So if you didn't, if you're in your car and you're not able to write this down and you're repeating it to yourself seven times, I will have it in the show notes. So don't worry about it. Um, for those of y'all, um, y'all know I usually shout out to the Discord. I love the Discord uh, for the podcast deal. You're welcome to pop in there. The link is free. You don't have to be part of a Patreon or nothing like that. You can just pop in and say what's up to everybody. You can find that link uh, in the show notes as well. Uh, Faustus, thank you so much for joining the show once again. This was awesome. I had a great time, and I'm hoping at some point we can do Kiss Me Deadly. Oh, yeah. Oh, well, add to the list. We'll see you soon, man. <laughs> my mustache. My father's mustache. <laughs> all right, man. Thank you so much. We'll talk to all these uh, wonderful listeners later. Take y'all later. Bye.